Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School. Here, you'll get fresh insight from the people at the very top of the tech companies who make the products we love. Remember, you can learn product management live online. Visit productschool.com to discover our new certificate path. There, you can also join the world's largest community of PMs and network with the leaders from these podcasts at our online events. There's something happening almost every day. Hello, and welcome. I'm Vijay Umapathy, Director of Product Management at Heap, and I'm thrilled to be here. So the title of my presentation is Shifting Your Product Team from Data to Insights and then to Action. And it reflects a number of things that we've been noticing in the world of product management. For those of you who don't know Heap, we're a product analytics company that has pioneered a unique and powerful approach to analytics, one based on automatically capturing behavioral data, surfacing nuggets of knowledge from it, and blending that data with scientific processes to build an amazing product. I'll talk more about that later, but as an introduction, I'll say that if you're looking for a smarter way to make product decisions, Heap is here to help. But back to insights. Now, one thing we've noticed across the analytics world is that lots of companies talk about data as if data itself is the be all end all of good decisions. For many years now, the pitch has been that to make a great product, all you need is data. The promise was that simply having data was the same as building a better product. As if all you have to do is give your product teams the string of numbers on the left and poof, out would pop a world-changing product. Of course, we know that's not true. Data by itself doesn't do anything. We've described this problem with the phrase, the tool is not the action, which it isn't. Having data is not the same thing as using that data to make better decisions. Having numbers in front of you isn't the same as using those numbers to build things. What's important isn't just data, it's how product teams use that data to build better products. It's how they build data into their practices and activities. It's how they extract the information that matters from the data they have. So what does turn data into great products? Well, we'd claim that what turns data into great products is insights. It's insights, we'd say, that are the key intermediary link between data on one side and great products on the other. Okay, so the idea that insights are more important is probably not a novel idea to most people here. It's important to get insights, no kidding. But we think there's something to be gained by being a little bit more specific. If insights are what matter, then by honing in on what an insight is and thinking carefully about how we acquire them, we can work to structure our product development processes around getting more of them. So what is an insight? Well, I'll suggest a definition. As we see it, an insight has two characteristics. An insight changes the story you tell about your product and an insight leads you to action. So first, number one, an insight changes the story you tell about your product. As we see it, this is one of the primary ways that data becomes useful. The idea is that you have a mental model, no matter how vague, um, about what your product is, what it does, who uses it, how they use it, and so on. And of course, 
you should have a strong mental model about these things. If you're not thinking about the person you're making a product for, and if you're not thinking about how they're using it, then well, you should be. In the case of Heap, for example, that story is Heap is for people who want to know what users do in their product, but don't want to have to wait months to find out. In time, your story becomes more detailed. As you start to put together a story about not only what jobs people use your product for, but what things are easy for them, what things are hard, what things they wish were smoother or more powerful. Ideally, your story also gets sophist more sophisticated about the people who use your product. As you start to figure out how people in different verticals, for example, use your product differently, or what things people who come from inbound marketing channels do that are different from people who come from outbound marketing channels. So what's an insight? An insight is a piece of information that challenges these presumptions or suppositions or understandings, and that changes this mental model about who your product is for and what those people do with it. It's a kind of cognitive dissonance that leads you to modify your understanding or at least refine your understanding so that you realize what you thought was easy about your product actually isn't, or that people who use your product in a slightly different way than you imagined, um, or that a specific group of people acts differently in your product than you had thought. So that's the first part of our definition. An insight changes your story about your product. Now that's great, but in our industry, a piece of knowledge isn't really meaningful if, there is, if there's nothing to be done about it. That's why we have the second part of this definition. An insight leads you to action. The point is that an insight is valuable, not only if it changes your mental model, but if it leads you to change something about your product or about how you sell your product or about how you evolve product market fit. For example, our customer, Surlatab, found that people who viewed the company's product pages tended to purchase more than people who didn't. That was something that refined their mental model. The action they took was to drive usage to those product pages by changes to their layout and navigation on their site. This experiment turned out to increase purchase rates by 6%. That's an insight, a piece of information that changed their story and that led them to action. Okay, so that's what an insight is. So let's go back a little bit. If we said that insights are the crucial link between data and product, then it seems like you'll want as many insights as you can get. Or at least that's what we believe, that a good analytics tool and a good analytics practice, what, the, what it should do is maximize the amount of insights that a product team acquires. The more and the deeper the insights that a team receives, the better. This leads to the main part of this talk. How do you move from data to insights? That's one of the big things we've been working on at Heap. Again, lots of analytics and data companies pretend as if simply having the data is the same as creating insights, and it's not. Uh, numbers by themselves are not insights. Uh, at Heap, we believe that insights combined from, come from combining technology and process, and we're working on helping product teams build out both of these. So in what follows, I'll lay out a few of the things that we're working on. So number one, make hypotheses and test with data. Of all the recommendations, this is arguably the most powerful because it means cultivating the right attitude, processes, and technology. The general idea with this approach is that if you're looking to change your story about your product, then 
you want to be testing everything about it. This is part of the standard scientific model. When scientists run experiments, the assumption is that the status quo is the null hypothesis. That's what we already think is true. Their job is to make hypotheses that prove that status quo wrong. This should be your job as a product team. If you want to get more insights, you need to be challenging your own ideas all the time. The way that you do that is to make hypotheses. Say you run a SaaS site. To promote um, a new feature, you run a blog series describing what that feature is, how people should use it, and what amazing benefits it will provide, and so on. Now, of course, in writing this blog series, your hypothesis is that putting it out there will increase activation. So what do you do? Well, if you want to test the efficacy of your hypothesis, you measure whether people who read this blog series are more likely to adopt this feature. If they are, great. Your hypothesis was proven correct. If they're not, then it's time to look at other methods of promotion and perhaps how to, uh, how to save your blog writer some time. This is just a small example, but the larger point is that you should be throwing out plausible ideas that challenge your given thoughts and then use data to test the efficacy of those, those hypotheses. We love this approach. And in fact, we've actually developed and practiced a systematic way to develop and clarify product hypotheses. Uh, we built this out into three documents that you can go download at heap.io. They are the problem brief, the design brief, and the after action report. The problem brief is designed to build alignment around why you're solving a problem and frame your problem as a hypothesis about user behaviors that you want to change. For example, if we think that users are having a hard time using a feature, we may make a hypothesis that reducing the steps in that workflow to use that feature will result in better adoption and long-term retention of that feature. Uh, the design brief, on the other hand, is aimed at going from the problem space to the solution space. That is, given a well-framed problem that does not specify one specific solution, this is a, this is a big trap that a lot of PMs fall into, um, the, the idea of a design brief is that given a well-framed problem, we should explore and clearly document that exploration of a space of solutions that we can think of, evaluate the trade-offs between these solutions, and then choose a direction. And we should do all of this in a lightweight way without having to waste weeks creating detailed mockups that may be part of a solution or even a high-level design direction that we don't end up pursuing. And then third, the after-action report is aimed at closing the loop on the, on the hypotheses that you created with the problem brief. Given the set of hypotheses that you made about changes to user behavior, where were you right? Where were you wrong? What did you learn as a result? This is valuable not only in the context of your own learning and your team's learning, but it also builds up a collective knowledge about your, about your customer base. Um, and this can be really crucial as you build out your teams and as you grow as an organization, so that as the personnel on your team grow and change, as an organization, you don't keep repeating the same mistakes because you're building up this library of learning over time. So let's go to number two, have the data at hand. Uh, the, of course, the idea that you should be making hypotheses and testing with data is only possible if you have the data. Want to make 100 hypotheses? That's easy. Want to test them? Well, that depends on having the data. Of course, as a product analytics company, we think having data, the data is essential. But the thing is, for most PMs, actually getting the data in usable form is the problem. 
This is partially why we built Heap. In most cases, getting data on how people use your product is difficult. First, you have to decide what you want to track. Then you have to cajole engineers into writing tracking code for you. Then you have to wait months for the data to come in. Then once you have the data, you need to know how to analyze it to get the information that you want. All of this is no small feat. Um, at Heap, we believe that getting insights shouldn't be difficult. When we started Heap, we knew there had to be a better way. That's why we built our platform on automatic capture. It's a technology that grabs user data immediately and automatically without the need for engineering resources. You'll always have the data you need and you can query it retroactively when you realize you have a question. So let's be even more prescriptive. One thing that we believe is for a long time, PMs had had to choose between uh, two of the following. When it came to data, uh, they could either have a complete data set, have trustworthy data, and have or have and have a data system that's easy to set up, or have a data system that's easy to set up and maintain. So choose your favorite two of these three. For example, if you use Google Analytics, it's pretty easy to get going, and and this is where most product teams start. Google Analytics free, it's free. Why not, right? Um, and your user data is trustworthy, but it's not particularly complete. And you'll always miss out on the possibility of getting more insights, especially for questions that you didn't think to ask at the beginning when you were setting up Google Analytics. Or if you use a manually tracked solution, you can get a more complete data set. And because you're tracking everything by hand, it will likely be very trustworthy. But man, it would take you a long time to get there and a ton of work to maintain. So much work, in fact, that we've never met a company that was able to tag everything that they actually needed ahead of time. Hopefully you see the problems with this. Remember that an insight isn't just something that verifies what you already know. It's information that tells you something that you didn't already know. That's really the benefit of auto capture. It's not, it's not necessarily that you can more easily capture data about the things you don't know or that you do know about, though it's good for that too. The real advantage of having all of your data at hand easily is that it can tell you things you don't already know about. Another way to say this is that to maximize the possibility of getting insights, which again is that goal, you need all three of these things. Data that's complete, easy to set up and maintain, and trustworthy. For example, one of our customers, Lending Club, is a large peer-to-peer -peer online lender. As you might expect, the process of, of applying for and receiving a large loan is complex and requires users to fill out dozens of form fields um, and provide a lot of information to apply. Naturally, there's a lot of drop-off in this process and Lending Club wanted to reduce it. As it happens, Alan D'Souza, Director of Product Analytics at Lending Club, is a big believer in data. And, and as, as he and his team dug in, they realized that when people saw errors, these people tended to drop off. Okay, fair enough. Luckily, however, the team had lots of data around user behavior, and they noticed something interesting. After receiving an error, some people correct that error and move on, while others strangely dropped off entirely. So why was this? Well, it turns out that some people who received errors continued on as if they hadn't received an error. That is, those people kept trying to fill out the form without correcting the error, and sometimes they try to do the same thing three or four more times before dropping off. This is pretty strange. 
So the team at, the, at Lending Club hypothesized that maybe these people weren't noticing the errors. Maybe the errors weren't being displayed prominently enough. As a result, people were getting confused and frustrated. So what did the team do? It made the errors more prominent. As a result, the conversion rates increased significantly. So the insight here is that people who were receiving errors were continuing on as if they hadn't. Seeing that people drop off isn't particularly compelling as an insight. Filling out a lot of forms is boring and that in and of itself will deter people. Rather, the insight is that people who should be correcting errors were not doing that. That was the information that changed the story about the product and led to a specific action of making those errors more prominent. And that insight was only available because the team had the data at hand already when the question came up and it was ready and usable for them in that moment. Okay, so finally, if you're gonna make data usable um, to turn it into action, there are some steps that you can go through to make it happen. We describe this as organize the data, then deliver it. That is make your data set clean and then put it in the right people's hands. Um, and we're working really hard on this one. For example, a few months ago, we ran a campaign around data that sparks joy. These two slides came from a presentation by my colleague, Milen, another PM at Heap. The first uh, toss the metrics that don't spark joy is about enabling your team to collaborate around a shared data set that has many contributors by removing data that isn't useful to the group because it's no longer relevant after changes you've made to your product, no longer used by other teams or other reasons. This stale data can actually make it harder for your team to get insights. So it's important and very easy in Heap to keep that data set tidy. The other thing that we encourage teams to do is be rigorous about naming and transparency. We actually thought this was so important, in fact, that we built it into our product. We did this by adding a data dictionary, which ensures consistent naming and, naming and categorization and allows uh, teams to annotate event definitions. So for example, clearly including a user's action, where in the app they took that action and any context on what they took that action on. Um, an internal wiki can also be a helpful tool here. You can create and manage these things on your own, of course, but it is easier if they're part of your data tool. Finally, there's the other part of the strategy, deliver your data. I've been talking a lot about how to turn data into insights, but this part is actually more critical for turning insights into action. Take retention, for example. One of the things we've realized is that the information we derive from our analytics tools is often used um, by more than just not, just, not just by our product teams, but by many other teams that are involved in retention efforts. Customer success teams, for example, have a huge role to play. So how do they know which, which customers to prioritize to minimize churn? Well, we highly advocate letting other teams make use of product analytics. Best, we, we recommend using customer data to align teams across your organization. What our customer conductor, for example, was having trouble understanding whether they were providing enough value to their customers. So they created a new metric. They called it user value. Um, uh, amazingly, they put this metric together using more than 80 inputs, most measured in heap. These were weighted according to the degree that they correlated with ongoing retention. It was really a tour de force of, of analytics. Not only did they calculate the likelihood that saving a report in their tool would predict retention, they calculated the relative likelihood of each kind of report in their tool. 
So if saving a certain kind of report correlated slightly more with long-term retention, they would weigh that act slightly more in their larger user value metric. So this was amazing. And it let, it let Conductor know with extreme granularity which accounts were healthy. It also let the product team know which actions were more likely to move the needle on retention so they could better prioritize their roadmap. How nice is that? More importantly, Conductor used our Salesforce connector to send this user value data into Salesforce. The effect was that this, the customer success team was able to itself use this data to know which customers to reach out to. They could easily pull up a list of customers and immediately know which ones were getting value from their product and which ones weren't. And they'd know all of this with reliable quantitative information. So action doesn't need to, doesn't need to be in your product. You should really also be thinking about the sheer number of person hours that are impacted by the data and the insights that you're creating. I started this talk by talking about um, insights and action. What Conductor did, organizing data um, to give them insights on customer usage and delivering it so that the whole company could take action is about as impressive a scenario as it gets. This is, this is true insights that help you make changes. So just to recap, the three strategies that we recommend, make hypotheses, test with data, have the data, and then organize the data, then deliver it, are three of the approaches that we recommend to teams um, looking to move from raw data to insights and then to action. And again, that's what moves us from data to great products. If you're interested in learning and uh, talking more about data or insights or actions, I encourage you to reach out. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the product podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.